Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We really believe the next 35 minutes will help you. We pray God speaks to you through this week's message. Amen. Um, It's kind of funny just even listening this morning to uh, Sally's story. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's true. We do ask people, uh, what do you do? It's one of the first questions that we ask, what do you do? Uh, on, the, on the holidays, I was chatting with uh, Isaac, who's my son, and he's three. And um, I asked him what he would want to do when he's older. I said, Isaac, when you grow up, what do you want to do? And he says, well, I don't know. I said, well, hey, would you want to be a, a pastor like your dad? He says, yes. I want to be a pastor like you. And I thought, that is awesome. I said, hey, what do you think about that? What does that really mean to you? He says, I want to be a pastor. He goes, I love spaghetti. (laughs) So I don't know what he thinks I do. (laughs) And then the whole conversation, I thought, what were we even talking about? Was he... Thought he wants to grow up and be pastor. Awesome. I thought that was good. Oh man, kids are so funny. Oh, I, one of the things I love most about the holidays, and you know, hey, welcome to anyone who's just come back from holidays. And, uh, you know, especially if this is your first service here, here this year, it's so great to have you. And, uh, but I, I, I enjoyed my time away with my family, and I, I love seeing the kids. And I was just reminded of that when I got home recently. I walk through the house and um, as soon as the kids can hear that I've arrived, you know, I mean, if you have kids, you'll know what this is like. They run from wherever they are in the house and they run straight to me and then they uh, clamp onto my legs and sort of we wrestle and all the rest of it. And, you know, it was only a couple of days ago, uh, they ran to the house, they, they ran to the front of the house and they grabbed me and I was like, oh, I miss seeing you guys. It's so good to be on holidays. It's so good when I was on holidays and they grabbed me and they said, hey, dad. I said, yeah. They said, do you want to uh, come and, and go with us in our time machine? We made a time machine. I said, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you built it, yeah, I want to go back in a time machine. I said, well, come with us. So we ran down to the end of the house. I mean, we ran too. And I ran to the end of the house and I, I got into their room. And when I, when I got in their room, there they both were in this position. So I said, uh, well, I don't know how to get into an invisible time machine. So I did the only thing that I would do in that situation. So I ducked down and took a sidestep and I was in. <laughs> and I said, where are we going? And Judah said, we're going way back in time, way back in time. I said, okay. I said, and uh, he said, we're going to go back to uh, way before the dinosaurs were even around. I said, wow, way before the dinosaurs were even around. He said, yeah. So after an extended period of time in this squatting position, um, I said, dear God, I hope we get there. <laughs> and, and, and we arrived. He said, dad, we're here. And I said, great. And I stepped up. And I said, Judah, tell me, what year is it? It's before the dinosaurs. Tell me, what year is it? He says, it's 1986. (laughs) I said, I was born before 1986. And I am not a dinosaur. And maybe you were born before that. Maybe you feel old, but we're not dinosaurs. And... 
And, uh, you know, it's like I can count on my kids to sort of encourage me and, and call me old and all the rest of it. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about living like sons and not slaves. About living like sons and not slaves. And, you know, I love my kids so much. We share so many, you know, good times together. And how crazy would it be for me to love my kids the way that I do and then in a moment when they misbehave that I just push them out of the house. Imagine if, you know, just push them out of the house and, you know, get out. Well, you've misbehaved, so you, you're not sleeping in this place tonight. You're out until you work your way back. I mean, literally, if any father did that to his kids, you'd think that is crazy. Like, you love your kids, right? You share these stories about how much you love your children, and yet the moment they do something wrong, you just push them out. The reason I want to talk about living like sons and not slaves is because a lot of people think that that's what it's like to do life with God. They read the stories about, you know, how much he loves us, but the moment that maybe they step outside of something that he wants them to do, the moment that they misbehave, suddenly they feel like they're treated differently. Now, I want to talk about what it would really mean to be a son. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Galatians and uh, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1 to 7. If you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screen so you can look there. I'm going to read. We're going to get stuck straight into it. This is Paul the Apostle. He wrote this and he said, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though that he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. I don't know if you're familiar with this phrase, uh, but, you know, as a man thinks, so he is. If you begin to think a certain way, you begin to act a certain way. Your Bible says that out of the heart flow the issues of life. Well, your heart is where you process information. Your heart is actually about how you, how you think. And depending on how you think, you're going to live a certain way. You're going to act a certain way. Would you agree with me this morning that if somebody believes something, then in a way it is true for them? Now, I'm not the kind of person who says there's no such thing as universal truth because I understand that Jesus is alive. He died, was resurrected, seated at the right hand of the Father. It's forgiven me of my sins. I believe that's universally true. But at the same time, really, if somebody believes something is true, then it, it means that it's just real to them. I've met lots of people that may have some wrong thinking, but if it's truth to them, then they live their life accordingly. They're going to live in such a way where that is true. And we have too many sons and daughters living outside the kingdom of God because to be honest, they just believe something that isn't true. And if you believe something that's not true, particularly when it comes to your relationship with God, you're going to live your life in such a way that makes whatever you believe, wrongly or not, you're going to live like it is true. 
That's why it's so important for us to have right thinking when it comes to God. And unfortunately, if you, if you pursue some of those wrong thoughts to the end, the end would be this. You've got heirs of the kingdom living like slaves. Heirs of the kingdom living like slaves. And the pivot point is grace. Everything really comes back to God's grace. And if you have a limited understanding of grace or you have a skewed perspective of grace or you don't understand how grace really works, then you're not going to live life the right way. Let me tell you something. If you think like a slave, you'll treat God like a master. But if you live like a son, you'll treat him like a father. If you think like a slave, God becomes your master. You'll treat him accordingly. You'll live accordingly. But if you, if you live like a son, suddenly the master becomes your father. And I'll tell you something, this, this is why this is all so important. If you don't see God as your father, you will always have a poor relationship with him. If you're here this morning and you feel like it's always been difficult to get close to God, you don't feel his presence or you don't feel his love and other people will talk about it, but you have no understanding of what that really is or you've never really felt that before. Maybe you're not seeing God the way that you should be because slaves and sons do life differently. They just do life differently. If you're a slave, then what are you a slave to? How can you be a slave of anything? Well, actually, the Bible teaches that, you know, before Christ came and set us free, that we were all slaves of sin, that it's going to be something that you can't help but do, that there's always, it's always going to be prevalent in your life. And then God came and he sort of set us free, free through Jesus dying for our sins and setting us free from the power of sin. But he says that we'd be slaves, slaves to what? To elementary principles of the world. What does that mean? Slaves to elementary principles? elementary principles that are instituted by elementary spirits. You say, that sounds crazy. Well, this is what Paul said about it. In Colossians 2, he said, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. There are spirits in the world that will lie to you, that will deceive you, that will have you thinking a wrong way. Now, if you are thinking wrongly, and you may not even be aware of it, most people that think wrongly aren't. I mean, understands the reason. If you knew you were thinking wrongly, you would have corrected it. So when you're thinking wrongly, you're unaware of it. You think that's the way that life works. You think that that's the way it's supposed to go. Now, if you were trapped in a pattern of thinking and you couldn't break out of that, you would do life accordingly. Does that seem right to you? Well, that becomes your philosophy. Your philosophy to life is, is, is just what you believe to be true about the world. And then you live out of that place. It's just about how you think. And when a slave becomes a son, they start to think differently. Why? Because they renew their minds in what truth is. See, the moment that you become a son, for the first time, perhaps you start to see things right. When I refer to son, I mean sons and daughters, of course, but you start to think differently. You start to look differently. You probably start to act differently, but it's because you believe something else. I'm just wondering, when God came and saved you and you became a son, if you're here and you've given your heart to Jesus this morning, 
when you became a son or a daughter in the kingdom, how did you begin to shift and change? What was different about you? When people look at you, can they see that the Spirit of God is actually in you? What would it be about your philosophy to life that would make someone think, wow, hey, they do it really well. They do it differently. They don't do life the way that I do it. I'm wondering how you handle challenges, how you handle your frustrations, how you handle the situations that come into your life. Because if you have a right way of thinking, you're going to act completely differently depending on whether you're a slave or a son. See, if you're a slave, you please God to avoid punishment. That's what slaves do. Slaves treat God like a master. They serve him, but only to avoid punishment. They serve God because they know it's right. They serve God, but it feels like a chore and they do it out of vigorous routine and not out of a love for God. When you become a son, everything that was done by routine, everything that was done because you had to suddenly gets turned on its head and you say, oh my gosh, I want to. I get to. I'm doing this because I love you. See, sons serve their father simply because they love him. When you come to church, do you come out of routine? Do you come because you know it's right? Or do you come because it is a great opportunity to get before your Father in heaven and worship Him? It's, it's, what's your philosophy to that? I mean, I'm not wanting to condemn anyone here this morning, but if you do church and you have an RDO twice a month, that you're sort of, if you have this idea where you go, that's good enough. It's like, I think, to be honest, no condemnation. You've just missed the point of church. You, you've missed everything that we do here. You think that we do this because it's right or because God expects it. If you do life following the things that he says because he expects it, wow, I want to tell you, you're going to miss out on so much that God has got for you in life. You're living like a slave. You're serving the master. You're doing it because it's right, but you're not doing it because he loves you or even that you love him. And I'm telling you, if you live life like that, you're going to settle for less. You just settle for less. God's got so much more. See, it's, that more that I want to talk about, you know, Paul says that sons, they get something that slaves don't. Do you know what they get? They get an inheritance. Sons get an inheritance. Slaves don't. Paul talks a little bit about the inheritance, and this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 1. In him, being in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. How many of us know that Normally the way that it works is you get an inheritance when somebody dies, right? And they leave something to you. Well, you get an inheritance because Christ has died and he left something to you and it's been available to you your whole life. But it's only when you move from being a slave to a son that you actually gain access to it. I hope that makes sense. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will... <laughs> According to the counsel of his will, how many of us know that we can't come and say, gee, you really messed up there. You could have done this a little bit differently. He takes his own counsel because why? Because he's perfect. According to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him was sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee. That word guarantee means the down payment or the first installment 
of our inheritance until we acquire possession, the fullest possession of it, to the praise of His glory. The Holy Spirit becomes our first installment of something greater that's coming. He's the first installment. When you become a, when you become a son, suddenly you get filled with the presence of God. You get filled with the Spirit of God. And why would God give His Holy Spirit to people? To be honest, He gives people His presence and His power because He's got a job for us to do. And when you begin to worship God and you get the down payment of your inheritance, you'll start to live differently. It comes with dominion. It comes with positional authority. It comes with all of these Great things that God's got in store for you. You get it if you're a son. I want to suggest to you this morning that Satan's job is to swindle you out of the inheritance that God wants to give you. He will swindle you out of the inheritance that God wants to give you. And this is Paul's concern for the Galatians. And this is my concern for Christians, for Christian people. Have you ever seen somebody swindle out of it? They've been convinced out of it. They've been talked out of it. This is Paul's concern. His concern is that sons are beginning to act like slaves and they're starting to go backwards. In other words, Christians are starting to behave like God is their master and they're forgetting that God is their father and they're going backwards. And so Paul writes to the Galatians, a lot of this book that he writes to is trying to get them to think rightly about God and to see Him as the Father again. Let me give you the context here so you really know what Paul's talking about. The context is that people, religious leaders have come in, they said, yes, you're saved. Yes, you know, you know God has uh, uh, come and set you free. But if you really want to complete the work, if you want to do it right, you need to get circumcised. And, and, and so here are these people going, well, do we have to add circumcision which is an Old Testament practice and principle. Do we have to add circumcision to our salvation to get this to really work the way it's supposed to? And then you've got the Galatians there that are trying to please people and they're thinking, hey, maybe this is right. Well, you better believe it. Paul had something to say about this and this is, whoop, here we go. Hey, can we get that back on track? Here we go. This is what he says. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts, accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. In other words, if you think that you can earn just the tiniest part of your salvation through good works and your behavior modification, you're going to be obliged to keep the entire law because your understanding needs to be that everything that you get, you get by grace. That's why it's all pivotal on grace. And he says, you're severed from Christ if you start to add works to your salvation. He says, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. I have become familiar with that term, fallen away from grace. I've heard people use that phrase many times and never in this context. When people talk about falling away from grace, they talk about maybe a leader who's done something they shouldn't and they've been stepped down from their position and they've fallen from grace. If you've been around church for any length of time, you probably would have been familiar with that phrase, 
But Paul never says that. It doesn't even make sense to me. How can you fall from a position of grace? If I'm, if I'm in grace, I'm there not because of me, but because of someone else. How can I fall from that? Even if I mess up, how can I fall from grace? Grace put me there. I don't understand how I can fall from it. The truth is we don't fall from grace by making our mistakes. We don't fall from grace by making mistakes. You fail from great, you fa- oh, that doesn't even, that look, looks like that's not even worked quite right there. Some words look like they might have been changed. You don't, listen, you don't fail or fall from grace because you made mistakes. You fall from grace because you pursue works. You fall from grace because you pursued works. See, grace put you there in the first place. You can't fall from that position. Do you know the only thing that can make you fall from grace is when you start to pursue works. If the moment you start to believe that grace put you there and the, that you put yourself there, the grace that you had suddenly gets removed. By faith, you access everything in the kingdom of God. The moment your position on that begins to change, you start to lose what you had. Faith in Christ got you where you are. So if faith in Christ got you where you are and you start to think that it's not faith in Christ, but it's my good behavior that gets me closer to God, suddenly what you had can even be taken. And this is what, how Paul responds again. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see, everything you get you get by faith. If you start to add something to it, Paul's point is simply this. You move out of grace and you start to move under works. Now, if you begin to live under works, you begin to live under the law. If you begin under, to live under the law, then you stand in a position where you can be condemned. And if you stand condemned, you will never, ever be free. Do you understand that The enemy of freedom is condemnation. The enemy of freedom is simply condemnation. And there are so many people, good Christian people, who are trying to do life right and do it the way that they know best and they live under condemnation. You understand that the Bible says that the accuser of the brethren, that's Satan, he stands before God day and night. He says, aha, do you see what they've done? They're not entitled to this. They're not entitled to that. Do you see what they've done? And Jesus and God, they reply and they say, yeah, but we've paid the penalty for that. You can't live under condemnation if you live under, under grace. In fact, this is what Paul said about it. He said, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Some people have to make a position and stand firm. 
and not submit to that yoke of slavery, not, not submit to that condemnation, not listen to that voice that would speak into their heart and speak into their mind. The goal of condemnation is shame and shame keeps you from God. If there are people who are here this morning and your shame is keeping you from God, you're living under condemnation. You're not living under grace. You're living under the law. You need to step out from where you are. Stop living under condemnation. Stop feeling that shame and start to come before your father and say, God, I'm sorry and feel comfortable when you approach him. This whole message is about grace being stolen by works. Can you imagine that grace could be stolen by works? See, this is not anything that can be done to you. It's just the way that you think. And if you think that you need to behave to get into God's good books, you're actually missing a whole part of the Bible. Do you know, I am pretty disciplined during the week reading uh, the scriptures. And then, you know, Saturday arrives and I think I've got to catch up on some sleep because I've been waking up early all week. So I sleep in and then the kids come and wake me up and then it's breakfast time. And then Sarah will say, oh, can you look after Eliana? Yeah, I can do that. And then we think, oh, look, we, we've, we've got to fit in something before we go out, before we come back for lunch and put Eliana down. So maybe we'll just go out for a quick coffee. And we go out for a coffee and we get back and then suddenly it's lunchtime. And then I feel like I... Sometimes I can't disappear because I'm sort of trying to help out around the house or get something clean. You know what? The truth is, before I get to, I start to get, start to get sort of later on in the night and suddenly I think to myself, wow, this day, it just didn't turn out the way that I wanted it to. I woke up this morning really believing that I was going to have this great time with God. I haven't spent that time with God at all. And a voice will creep into my mind right then and it will say something like this. What kind of pastor are you? What kind of pastor are you? You get up and, what, lead the church on Sunday and you give away your time with God so easily? The end of that voice is condemnation. The end of that voice, you think that God stands over me with a frown and his arms crossed and says, where were you? I was waiting, where were you? The end of that road is condemnation. If I start to listen to that voice, it takes me to a place that I don't want to go. So what voice speaks to you? Because in my experience, most of the people that I've met in life, they have a voice that speaks to them and it's always condemning and it's always pointing out your errors and it's always saying, this is how you stuffed up and this is where you went wrong. And because of that, what kind of Christian are you? What kind of Christian are you if you still struggle with that sin? What kind of Christian are you if you can't let go of this addiction that's in your life? What kind of Christian are you if you can't control your eyes? What kind of Christian are you if you can't control your heart? And the end of that line is condemnation. And if you listen to that voice enough, suddenly you start to take on shame. You take on enough shame, you don't even want to get before God. Because the moment you get before God, you have to actually face the facts that you messed up. That you maybe didn't do something right in your life. But grace, but grace changes everything. Grace changed all of that. Grace means that even when you mess up, you get before God, you say, I'm sorry, and he takes you straight back. The enemy will lie with you about where you stand before God. He'll lie to you about where you stand with God. And if you start to take on this thinking, do you know what? You've become a slave. You're no longer a son anymore. You've become a slave. You please God only through your works 
and you know that he's at a distance. Why? Well, because you messed up, right? When you make a mistake, God steps back from you because you messed up, right? That is just as messed up as me throwing my kids out of the house when they misbehave. It's just the same. Let me tell you something. God doesn't push you out, reject you, or, or hate you the moment that you sin. He's already died for that. So he could constantly be in the position of loving you. He could constantly be in the position of giving you. No one ever consciously chooses to be a slave. If you were to sit down with someone and say, do you want to be a slave or a son? You know what they'd say? They'd say, I want to be a son. No one consciously makes that decision. The people that become slaves, they become slaves because they think they deserve it. I'll give you a really great story about this. There's a story in the Bible about the prodigal son. If you're familiar with it, it's a younger son and he comes to his dad and he asks for his inheritance ahead of time. He takes it, he spends it all, and he spends it wrongly on his desires and on his passions. He spends his inheritance wrongly. Then he finds himself stuck and he decides that he's going to come home. And when he comes home, he meets his father along the way. And you know what he says to his father? He says, treat me like a slave. Treat me like one of your servants. Treat me like a hired hand. I know I've messed up. I know I haven't done right. He comes back as a slave. But what does the father do? The father says, no, you're my son. He says, quickly, come put the ring on his finger. Put the cloak on his back. Kill the fattened calf. We're celebrating. You were once lost, but now you're found. You were out there. But the moment you turned to him, he said, welcome home. I don't know how many people live with the wrong idea that the moment they turn to God, that He's going to punish them. That the moment that they turn to God, He's going to be all over that problem and all over that sin and remind you of it and condemn you. Actually, the truth is, the only thing that God ever does is convict you. But as for condemned, you don't have to live under that. You don't have to live under that place of condemnation anymore. God's plan was not just to adopt you, but it was actually to redeem you. His plan was to redeem you from a position of slavery. You see, it's because you're a son, because you're a son, God sent the spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. Many of you would know that that word Abba, it, it, it means like Dad. It means like Papa. That's what it means. It's this expression of intimacy between Jesus and between His Father. And the Spirit of the Son is meant to be in you, crying, Dad, crying, Papa, crying, I'm so sorry, God, but I know that you love me. And I'm not going to stand under that place of condemnation anymore. Do you know, I've been a Christian for many years, but it was only this year I made a conscious effort and decision to stop saying God when I pray. And I made a decision to call God Father because I wanted to always remember that no matter what, I'm always His son. I'm always His son. If you mess up, you're still His son. I'm going to make one final point. That'll be the end. When you stand under grace, you can never be condemned. When you stand under grace, you can never be condemned. You are sons and daughters of the King. You are heirs to a promise. Don't live as a slave when you're entitled to be a son. 
Don't live like a slave. Don't live under condemnation. Don't let the things, that little voice that speaks to you, that tries to condemn you, that says, what kind of Christian are you? How could you possibly struggle with this? Shouldn't you be clear of that now? Shouldn't you be over that? Don't let that voice heap shame onto your life. Here's what you need to do. Don't ever let shame keep you from the presence of God because God will not unadopt you when you make a mistake. He doesn't unadopt you. He loves you and He cares about you. Every mistake you've made has been forgiven. And when you wake up tomorrow, every mistake you're gonna make, that's been forgiven too. Can we just stand this morning? I want you to just pause for a moment this morning. I want you to think, do you see God as a father? Or has God become your master? Do you do things out of religious duty? Or do you do things because you just love Him? When you serve God, are you serving Him and doing it because you know it's right, because you have to? Or do you get before God and say, this, what I'm about to do as an expression of worship because God, the truth is, I just love you. When you wake up on Sunday morning, is it your RDO? Or do you wake up on Sunday morning and go, guys, get up, get the kids ready. Let's get to church. God is going to be in the building this morning. Let's get there. Let's worship Him. Let's praise Him. Let's sing His praises. I remember years ago, I spoke to someone and I, I said to them, they, sorry, they said to me from another church in my workplace and they said, hey, you know, I've been coming to worship and I'm just not getting everything out of it that I know that I should. I said, do you understand the purpose of worship is that you're giving something to Him? When we come to church, when we get before God, we give Him praise, we give Him worship because He's worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy of it. We give it to Him because we love Him. It's because of how we feel about Him that we come here. Not because we have to, but just because we get to. Let's worship this morning. Why don't we just begin to sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Let your hearts lift this morning. Raise your hands, begin to sing to God. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.